What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Anthro Alert podcast, which is the recording of our live show, Anthro Alert. You can now listen at your leisure and at your convenience. If you're new here on Anthro Alert, this is where Renee and I, your hosts, and sometimes a guest, analyze, break down, and discuss different topics each week anthropologically. Enjoy. Hey, Bulls, you're listening to WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. Learn more at BullsRadio.org. It's 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon. You know what that means. It means you're listening to Anthro Alert. I am your co-host, Spencer. Hey, hey, and my name is Renee. I am also co-hosting today. Yes, and we have we have two guests for you today listeners so stay tuned we're excited about that but if you never listen to anthro alert if you're confused about why you're here then let me tell you this show is about anthropology and simply why it matters each week we discuss how anthropology is relevant and over time we're featured various guests from the department of anthropology here at eosf to discuss their research and have them weigh in on everyday topics or current events we believe that this is a good opportunity for us as anthropologists as students of anthropology to better connect with the USF community and to raise awareness of the value of an anthropological perspective. Just like every week, we like to preface our show with the disclaimer that the statements that we make and the opinions that we express here on AnthroAlert are ours and ours alone and may not necessarily be representative of anthropology as a discipline, the USF anthropology department, USF as an entity, or student government. So with that all out of the way, we can now begin the show and this show for our live streaming viewers um it's going to be a lot more colorful so don't be alarmed because <laughs> there are colorful lights flashing around in yes here today. the studio has gotten an upgrade and we got green in the back and what the ones below us are changing oh now they're purple all right, and so we have two guests. Like I said, today we have uh, two master students from the department, um, Jane and Bethany. So introduce yourself, ladies. Hi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jane Danlag. Uh, yeah. Are we going to do, like, the bios that we sent? Sure, yeah. Just, go like, ahead and, just like whatever you want to say by yourself. Go ahead and oh, tell okay. us a little bit. Um, I'm a second-year master's student in the Applied Anthropology Program, and uh, my research pertains to um, narratives and human trafficking victim identification. Uh, That's it for me. You want to introduce yourself, Bethany? Hi, I'm Bethany Moore. Um, I am also a master's student in the anthropology program and the public health program. Um, My research is more focused on stigma and how it affects um, different populations, specifically um, pregnant women who have HIV and how they um, do or do not access health care. So that Mm -hmm. whole experience. Mm. And so the reason we um, had you guys come on together is that you recently made a film together or a film project that you guys are presenting at a conference, correct? Yes. And what conference would that be? The Society for Applied Anthropology. Okay. And so how are you presenting that? Are you showing the film there? or? Yeah. Um, so what the format is going to be is that we're each going to do like a five-minute presentation um, there's multiple films being shown at the same panel because it was part of a 
visual methods class that we took with Dr. Dubell, which you were also a part of. I was. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're going to be doing a little like background presentation um, and then showing our video and then we'll be part of a panel to talk about what that process was like. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and just hop into the conversation about about the video. So what sparked the creation of the video? Um, so for the class, pro one of the class projects we were working on um, was a collaboration with this um, archive called Out Down South. Um, it was started in 2014, and it's basically an internet archive of um, elderly people of the elderly members of the LGBTQ community, um, and just recording their history and their experience of growing up gay in the South. Um, and so through that, we got a contact with um, a guy in Miami, Bob Kunst, and so we decided to go down there and uh, interview him and pursue that lead. So tell us a little bit more about what the film actually entails. Like, what's, th what's the story behind the film? So, yeah, our broad research question was just what was it like for you being uh, part of the LGBTQ community um, in the South during those time periods in like the 70s and 80s and our participant was um, pretty well very active in the civil rights movement here in Florida so um, he mostly talked about that and he's kind of in the process of writing and like kind of anthologizing his life and his work that he's done so he had three hours <laughs> of material for us that day when we came so um it was a lot about his part in that history and also his identity as not only a gay man growing up at that time, but also a Jewish man after World War II and um, how those two identities really coincided for him in um, political action. Anything to add to that, Bethany? Um, not yeah. <laughs> um, not really. I mean, yeah, basically what Jane said. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, he, he went in a lot of detail about a lot of different topics, but mostly, um, so we didn't, it was with him, it was not just his personal experience, but just more of a civil rights focus, really, is what we kind of looked mm -hmm. at. Mm -hmm. So tell us about, you know, making a film, there's a lot that goes into making a film. Uh, there's planning, and there's filming, and there's editing, which takes up most of the time. So can you tell us about the actual process that you guys went to or went through uh in creating the film you know from from planning it out all the way to you know where you guys are now um and about to present it next week at at a conference um yeah so we kind of we we learned a lot in this process i would say did you have any experience like creating films before or doing video um, work beforehand not really i'd done a little bit in high school mm -hmm. i'd done a, a little yeah, it wasn't anything super serious, but I think I had, like, some background. Yeah, I do mm -hmm. a lot of photography, but that's, like, still, so it's not right. video. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, so we, we learned a lot from it, but um, we kind of went down there just more, like, open mind. Like, let's kind of see. <laughs> we, we planned a little bit of, like, our questions, but we he had kind of presented where he wanted to just... Um, tell us his story and we knew it and from different people that know him that had talked to us we knew that he was someone that talked a lot and talked well and and kind of had a plan with how he wanted to go so we kind of went down there just like all right what's your plan what would you like to do and uh, mm -hmm. versus like a whole plan and set um I don't know if you 
Yeah, so, and like we mentioned, it was like three hours of him talking, <laughs> but the project had, we had to parse it down to five minutes. Uh, we ended up being around six, but it was quite the effort, and one of our cameras' audio died um, halfway through the interview, so we had an hour and a half of footage where the audio wasn't connected, so we had to figure out how to mesh the audio from the other camera back to the footage that we had on the other one because our whole plan was to kind of have these two cameras so that we could switch angles at different moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like, we thought with lighting it would be great. He had this wonderful sunroom in this beautiful house that he had decorated, like, really eclectically. It was really beautiful. So we were like, oh, yeah, we got to get the interview in there. But... It was cloudy, and so the sunlight kept changing throughout the interview, especially when we were cutting the three hours of movement and light down to five minutes. You could tell drastically when the sun was changing and Mm -hmm. the clouds were moving. So, yeah, those are things that we didn't think of as people who aren't in film mostly, and then going into it and then editing it, we were like, ooh, (laughs) that was bad. So how how did you guys deal with that? Um, so, well, with the audio, I will say that's one of my um, proudest achievements in life is matching <laughs> that audio up <laughs> for a really long time and lots of caffeine and snacks. But um, <laughs> but matching, so we had to use the program and just kind of painstakingly look at the audio waves and match it together. To second by second. Yes, yeah. but it actually was pretty, it, it came, it was good. Um, mm-hmm. think, think, thankfully, we um, had a camera, and we also had a microphone on him, so we mm. caught that full audio, and we were able to uh, mesh that together, um, even after we had the whole mishap with the camera dying um, mm-hmm. and all of that. And um, so, yeah, so in that case, it was just a lot of time and just being meticulous about it and not getting frustrated and walking away when we needed to. <laughs> um, and then the lighting, we um, we had to do a lot of, like, filters and messing with the lighting on um, the program that we use. We use Premiere, Adobe Premiere. Yes, I had to think about that. Now, you <laughs> yeah. use Adobe Premiere or Adobe Premiere Pro? I yes, think it was Premiere Pro. We used Premiere Pro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, so we used it's Premiere. A, that's a joke. Yeah, I had to think about Uh-oh. it. Um, <laughs> yes, so we used, <laughs> I'm like looking at my file, it was Pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was looking at it too. I was like, it's Pro, but yeah, it's Pro. Okay. Um, so we used that, and that was a whole learning process because um, I've used a lot of Adobe products, but not Premiere or Premiere Pro. Um, so we had to painstakingly go through that. And then the lighting, we had to do a lot of filters and um, messing with that. It still wasn't perfect, but I think we learned a lot from that of just, like, things to think about. Like, we mm-hmm. were looking at the artisticness of it, but also but not thinking that that doesn't necessarily carry over to film mm-hmm. um, what you see. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, um, just editing down the content, too, was very yes. wild for us just yeah. because... He had this whole other piece of talking about his Jewish identity, and then he also, as a figure, like, you know, his political beliefs where he was a Trump supporter mm-hmm. and stuff, but this project was to go to the LGBTQ archive, and so trying to figure out what parts fit into the content of being that kind of talking about the gay civil rights movement, but also, and also not alienating the people who would be listening to that in some ways, but also respecting who he was as a person and trying to fit that all into six minutes yeah. <laughs> was like interesting the negotiation process of what parts of the story mm-hmm. made it to the six minutes out of So what was your thought process in going through and deciding what to cut and deciding what to keep? 
having all those questions like in your mind? I think a huge part of it is as we were going through, we were like, okay, who is our subject as a person? And that's who we were trying to stay true to. Because he did, like as Jean said, he said a lot of um, inflammatory things and things that could be really um, mm-hmm. polarizing for people. We couldn't put that on the radio. Nope. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> um, we could not put. Um, so, but we just kind of we went through, we watched it, and we were like, okay, what is our what's our main theme? And our theme was. Um, for out down south about you know the we were looking at more the civil rights in the south and um the lgbtq movement and all of that and so um we were trying to keep it true to that and then also what's his identity and so we kept just asking those questions like does this is this essential to knowing bob is this essential and so some things are like okay not really like you can get his character from this we don't need all of this necessarily inflammatory stuff we did keep some of that in mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah, it was just constantly evaluating and talking, having conversations with each other, because um, we spent an entire day with him, so we mm-hmm. did get to know him pretty well, I think. <laughs> um, and so just asking those questions constantly, is this, is this necessary to know who Bob is? Is this our story? And so mm-hmm. we just constantly had to return to that. So. Yeah. And there's also kind of a narrative of what he was talking yes. about. So there was a timeline of his activism, so we tried to also fit that all in because in the way that he told the story it obviously wasn't super chronological so trying to fit it kind of into a clear narrative of like the timeline so it was kind of like what does this have to do with lgbtq movement in the south what does this have to do with bob and does it fit the timeline so really like the three guiding questions yes um so this is part of a class project yes um and so you had specific criteria for like to, to satisfy the requirements for the the, the assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, how how do you think that you approached it differently? Like being in an anthropology class, uh, or as anthropologists compared to maybe uh, a different academic perspective. Hmm. I think, at, le- at least for me personally, I think a huge difference was that are we telling the story we want to tell or are we telling the story Bob wants to tell? And so mm-hmm. that's where we were looking. We were like, because I was like, oh, I'd love to focus on this and this would be cool. But it's like, but no, it's not about what I want or what I see. We're trying to look at his perspective. So, um, yeah, I think that was one of the huge bigger differences. Yeah. Yeah, we did have a lot of conversations afterwards of things that we had wished we could just focus in on, like one five-second part of the video mm-hmm. and being like, let's just ask him a million questions about that. But then it's like, you know, you get down this rabbit hole. And I think anthropology gave it that societal and cultural Mm -hmm. focus, especially since we were focusing on that time period and trying to fit that in that archive. Um, And I think that really helped us with editing as well. All right, very insightful. So we're going to take a uh, short break. We'll be right back. So keep it locked. Hey, Bulls, listening to WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. So you can check us out on that stream. And welcome back. So we're talking with Jane and Bethany about their film that they will be presenting next week at the Society for Applied Anthropology Conference um, on a panel that is made up of some of our fellow colleagues from the visual anthropology class. Um, so there will be several other videos as a part of that panel. Um, but today, it's all about them. We're just talking about their film. So we're going to hop right back into the conversation. Uh, we were talking about their film with Mr. Bob Kunst. 
Uh, and they were telling us a little bit about him as a person and how they made decisions in cutting three hours worth of film in, into six minutes and making it a coherent narrative um, and the decisions that they made uh, to do that in the process of creating that film and, and learning by trial and error on the way. Um, so you guys, you guys will be using the film for the panel, but do you have any other sort of intentions for using the film, like in the future after the panel? Like, what's kind of the end goal? Is this sort of is is this the end goal, or do you guys want to carry on with with this particular footage afterwards? Um, we had talked about uh, going back and kind of pursuing some of those questions that we had had for Bob after our initial interview, because mm -hmm. that was generally when you try and interview somebody for something like this, you'd have like one interview to start, and then you'll have like multiple interviews after, especially mm -hmm. if you're trying to kind of ask more questions from there so um we had talked about that we might do that yeah. um <laughs> bob definitely has plans with the footage he's asked us for multiple copies of it oh yeah since um the class has ended yeah so i don't know what though mm -hmm. but he does have ambitions to come to usf and speak and just carry further what he's been doing all his life and continue to advocate mm-hmm so. Do you guys um, have any plans to maybe go back through that some of the three hours worth of footage you have and parse together maybe another video on, you know, another subject? Because you guys said that he hit sort of several topics uh, along sort of the anthology of, of his life and being an activist. Do you guys plan on maybe making another short video on something else? That's not something we had specifically talked about, um, but I know we definitely would have talked about like maybe making a longer documentary style thing with more interviews. So we, if we did something like that, we would probably um, for sure return to some of our old footage. We might try to, it depends, we might try to reshoot some things or re-ask questions just to, especially with issues with the lighting and things like that, now mm -hmm. that we want to be more perfectionist. But um, yeah. I think we would definitely revisit it. We got some... Um, definite interesting stuff. We also got some shots of his garden and things like that that mm -hmm. were um, not all of it could make it into our video. So, yeah, I think we would. And so, um, you know, through this whole process, how has has Mr. Kuntz been involved in the process of you guys kind of editing or, you know, does he check in? Do you guys ask him, like, questions? Or has he seen the final product he has definitely seen the final product. He came for the showing that they had at the local LGBT center, mm -hmm. forget, in St. Pete. Mm -hmm. So the class went to that afterwards and kind of had a viewing of the films and invited the people who were showcased in the films to come and kind of speak to the audience and do that. So that was a nice little platform and coming together of everybody who was involved in the filming process. Mm -hmm. But as for editing, um, we kind of just took that into our own hands. Mm -hmm. Um, we did ask him if he liked the final project, I think, before we yeah. turned it in and right. finalized it. But How did he react to it? He liked it. Yeah. yeah, he was enthusiastic. He does want all of the film, like all of the footage yeah. in general, but he thought the way that we edited it down was fine. So, And the final product is only six minutes mm -hmm. out of hours? 
like three hours. Three yeah. hours. <laughs> and you can yeah. see that, and the, behind them there's a clock on the wall, and you can see it. Like <laughs> it starts <laughs> in one place, but it ends like three plus hours I later. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah that was so another. Weird that was thing. one of my favorite parts of it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the clock and the lighting, so it was like really bright like and then dark. Down and now. Then the clock is going. It's so funny. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, as, as like a little Easter egg for for viewers. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's let's hop into that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so talking about visual methods in anthropology, just kind of in general, um, you know, stepping back from the specific film that you that you two made together. Um, how do you think? visual media whether it be like photography or film or other sort of types of mediums is useful in anthropological research as a form of like dissemination i personally i think as far as like visual mediums and things like that it's it's far more accessible to the general public um especially something like anthropology is so academic and or it tends to be historically very academic and we can kind of get locked in to all our papers and things like that where other people might not care or might not know what we're talking about. And when you use things like film and art and radio and different things like that, um, many, many more people are able to view it or see it and, and interpret your research. If, you, if it's interpreted well, mm-hmm. um, your research can become something that is more widely disseminated and understood. Mm-hmm. I think also that um, visual methods allow for more of an exploration of embodiment or the material reality of participants that so, can kind so of So real, real quick, what is embodiment? Um, <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, well, it's just kind of like the actual being in your body and different things. So like for an example, um, you can use a visual method to kind of talk about your side effects from your medication was something that we read about in the articles. And so they were able to kind of capture what it was like being on that medication through the visual methods by documenting that through photos and videos and talking about how they were feeling. And I think in a paper, like we can read about that, but it's kind of this disconnect because Mm -hmm. there's not that sensory input. And I think that visual methods get to that sensory input and seeing people as people and like these are actual lives more so than you can with just writing about it mm-hmm. and i guess getting to sort of the academic side of anthropology we have a tendency to sort of um i guess make things say things are more complex than that right so we don't we don't like simple answers mm-hmm. to to really anything in anthropology and often our Answers are, it depends, or it's more complex than that. Um, And so when you're using visual methods, you know, how do you make these choices between oversimplifying versus making it accessible and breaking down complex topics so, um, you know, the general public can can understand, can care, and can, like, relate to that topic? I think it can still be very complex, but Mm -hmm. the thing with visual methods is that it immediately connects you to a particular incident. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you can kind of relate that outward. Mm -hmm. I see it kind of in the same way you can do with, like, fiction. It's not that fiction doesn't deal with, like, very complex overarching themes, but it brings it into this one 
story mm-hmm. that yeah. has a lot more sensory input than an academic article would. Right. That's a really so. good. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. yeah. That's a really good like analogy for that. I like that a lot. And I think even some anthropologists are kind of doing like ethno fiction or or whatever. Um, I know of one particular. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't read any, but I know that some people are exploring that. This so. this probably fits in well with your own kind of creative personalities and such mm-hmm. because I think I mean think um, from what from what I know about. Um, the both of you are very creative, artistic, and so being able to try to tell the story through visual means probably was very appealing to you as a way mm-hmm. to illustrate the questions that you had. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely, yeah. Right. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> i i love I love writing, and I do love not not academic papers, but I do love writing, and I, I think papers are important. But I think that there's something. Um, so much more visceral and something more immediate with film or any type of art, but film especially, um, that you can, and it's, it's also really collaborative because if we were like, we're writing a paper about you, we want you to help us or we want your input. That's definitely, if someone isn't academic or doesn't write papers also, then we're just like, we're writing it. This is how it's said. These are all the concepts, but in a film, it's a little bit more, um, show me your, show me your life. Like, Mm -hmm. let's capture that. I can't, I can make editing choices, but I can't, like, I, I'm not going to go in his house. Is, I can show his house and show part of his personality through all of the art on the walls and things like that. So it's, I don't know, it's, I, I think it's just so much more visceral and mm-hmm. um, more human, I guess. Yeah. I think it, like you said, too, the accessibility to the participants to critique it is a lot better, too, and, like, that dissemination piece for it is what makes it something that I'm really interested in. Um because, like, yeah, if you take a photo of somebody and then they don't they don't like it, <laughs> you know, that happens, like, all the time every day. They'll just right. be like, don't don't show that to people. I'll be like, oh, okay, <laughs> then just delete it, and then you're fine. Right. So and take a new one. So I like that aspect of it, too, that it can be a lot more mm-hmm. of a crea- collaborative, creative process. Mm-hmm. So how did your, you know, your both interests in, you know, photography or art or even I know you guys are interested in theater as well. So how did that go from being a hobby or something that you guys just enjoyed doing to being con- like connected with anthropology and your anthropological research? Mm-hmm. Um, so I can say for me, I, I've been always kind of split between science and art and like flip-flopping between the two of them. And um, the more I've been a part of academia... Um, I guess just I've been I've missed I've missed the artistic stuff more and more, and um, I I've I've had in the you know later or earlier years and I've had the past years um, various personal things that happened and um, and then also the climate the current climate of the country and all that stuff. Um, but it tends, I've to be, seen, it tends to be rather warm here. I, I get what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> yes. Um, so I've I've seen. You know, I've been I've been observing things we do in the department, things we do in academia, and then I can see out in society all of these different artistic things happening. Um, with like so, oh, um, I have to focus on the microphone too. Um, <laughs> in society, I can see all of these different artistic movements happening. So, just as a broad example, um, I'm sure hopefully people know the musical Hamilton. Um, it brought a lot of um, social issues to the forefront. But it also provided accessibility to a lot of people, and it brought, got people talking about things. And so to me, I'm, I see that as theater is fun. Theater can be interesting, but it's also a huge tool 
to get people um, to listen and to get people to talk about things. That's that's what it was historically for the Greeks. For in Shakespearean times, it was always used as a commentary on society, and so I that just is so inviting to me to use that medium that something everyone can enjoy, but also it actually means something. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I relate a lot to what <laughs> Bethany said in that. I think that the accessibility and collaborative possibilities with artistic methods of um, doing research are a lot more exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with academic things and doing kind of like a pure ethnography without using like a method like photo voice and different things makes it puts the onus so much on the researcher that it's not so much of the research that I'm interested in doing mm. um, and I think the uh, <laughs> oh yeah the possibilities for um, dissemination and communication and moving forward with what was done are a lot more within creative aspects mm. and so you mentioned photo voice what what is that uh, photo voice <laughs> is a method that started with uh, Caroline Wang and oh gosh the other person's last name is Burris but I forget her first yeah, name um, but they started it as a way to look into I think healthcare options for women in Beijing and what they did was they had um, the women have disposable cameras to answer their research questions. So they would fill up, fill up the roll of film, and then they would have focus groups centered on the pictures that they took to kind of discuss this issue in the community. Mm. And what, what, are, like, what are some of the benefits of, of using this, this method of, of photo voice? I think it helps with um, language barriers, mm-hmm. first of all, because you can kind of see in the picture like what they were trying to get at. Mm -hmm. Um, It also helps kind of focus the focus group, which sounds silly, but Mm -hmm. they have like a talking point and it's like a picture that they can kind of look at the different things in that. Um, Yeah, and also if, I think one of the benefits of it too is if you're working with a population that doesn't have very good literacy, then it's a different way for them to kind of speak on a different issue. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think, especially with, like, kids, anytime you're working with children, it it's more engaging for them. Kids, most of the time, I've in my experience, love cameras and love playing with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and kids are usually very honest as well. And so it's, it kind of provides a whole new perspective. Um, they can maybe, some projects have done where the kids have gone home and taken photos of things at home that maybe the researcher would never be able to see. And so it kind of gives you a different perspective, a different lens on, mm. on that. A lot of these methods, you know, like photo voice or even using, especially using like fiction or theater or even film, are still fairly new to anthropology as a discipline and still being, uh, still in like the beginning phases of being explored. What do you guys see as like challenges or um, potential downfalls of using these these types of methods to, or maybe like... You know, what are some challenges to make them more integrated and into the discipline? Yeah, um, trying to make sure that they're accepted by the scientific community and anthropology Mm. and make Mm -hmm. sure they're rigorous enough Mm -hmm. to cut it as academic research while also at the same time staying true to your your vision and what the community wants to do. I think that's the continuing line. Right, so like what's considered research and is like 
fiction and film considered mm-hmm. proper research uh, dissemination, or is it just like entertainment? And you know, like how do you kind of push against that mm-hmm. that kind of discourse? Yeah, and I think I think a huge division there, which I had mentioned a little bit earlier, but is who whose perspective are you telling and who is the story for? So a lot mm-hmm. of things that are art, they, they can minister, they can help a lot of people, but a lot of the time with artistic stuff, it's what you, it's your own personal story and what you're creating and you're feeling. Whereas um, in anthropology, we're not, I'm not trying to tell my story. I'm trying to give other people a voice maybe that don't have one and tell their story. Um, and so that's where you really have to draw a line between your like quote artistic vision mm-hmm. and your scientific lens and and uh not just your decisions aren't based on how you're feeling and how you're creating but more on um on theory on your interviews and on um feedback from peers and participants and so i think that's a huge a huge mm-hmm. difference between the two is that you can it is easy to get carried away and oh i want this to be artistic and theatrical and all of this but you also have to look at whose story are you telling right yeah I think, yeah, that's always an issue, too, because I think it's, if you're exploring, like, your feelings or a certain creative vision, just being explicit about that is important, and I think what, especially in an applied anthropology program like this, I would, all of our focus is usually on trying to make operational solutions Mm -hmm. or some sort of thing to come out of it, so just not having art for the sake of art i guess (laughs) try not to get in that rabbit hole too so uh, yeah having like doing fun creative methods is one thing but being able to extend that further to something that actually creates something in the community or gives back to something in the community is i think an important part of using these methods as well Mm. and i know uh from your perspective bethany you were saying that you're kind of stuck between Know, like science and wanting to do these more creative um, avenues of, of research dissemination because you know, like your full-time job is being a nurse mm-hmm. and then you have anthropology and then you have all these side like yeah. creative <laughs> interests right so yeah. <laughs> you have a really sort of interesting mix of things going on there so what kind of tensions do you or or do you experience any tensions between sort of you know like being a nurse and having to be more I guess empirical Mm-hmm. Uh, in that field versus like anthropology where there's a little bit more wiggle room depending on who you're talking to versus like straight up art. Yeah, um, I, I definitely have see those tensions all the time, especially um, so with being a nurse, my duty, my first and foremost is to my patient and um, making sure that they're protected, they're not just their privacy, but their health, you know, um, that I'm taking care of them. And so sometimes I can, even with that example, I can see, oh, this would make a great, research article or a story but then i my first thing is yeah but i'm worried about privacy and i don't want to you know i'm worried about this toll it might take on them and so i have all that and then i also am like yes but this is important the story needs to be told and then also it creates like an emotional visceral response so i'm like oh i want to create this artistic thing with it or write this poem and so it's definitely um it's difficult <laughs> to balance all of those out and there's always I, I would say it's never perfect. There's always like a warring. Something's always like, yeah, but but this, but something this is getting left out or this. So it's it's just always trying to be mindful of that. I guess um, I don't think I figured it out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an ongoing yeah. struggle. It always is, right, to figure things out. But I think we're going to uh, pause here and we're going to take another quick uh, music break and then we will we'll be back. So stay tuned.
Hey, Bulls. What is happening? You're listening to the Bulls Radio, WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 16.20 a.m. on campus, and always streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. Uh, so thanks for coming back. If you've been listening to the show, we've been talking to Jane and Bethany about the film that they made uh, that they will be presenting at uh, the Society for Applied Anthropology Conference next week on a panel uh, with our colleagues from the Visual Anthropology Methods class. And, and that will be in beautiful, sunny, wonderful weather, Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. City of brotherly love. Yeah. <laughs> Is it going to be cold there? Yes. Probably, probably, yeah. You know, being in Florida for like two years now, I always forget that it's cold other places. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like this time, this time. You know, like I called my mom a few days ago and there was like snow on the ground. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's like 75 degrees here. <laughs> yeah. When I went home for winter, I forgot what black ice looked like. And then oh, I got yeah. off the airplane and it was one of the ones where you go straight onto the tarmac. And my friend was like, you should pay attention. Like, that's ice. And I was like, what? And <laughs> you know, fell over. Oh, did, did, you, did you actually fall? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that stuff is dangerous. Man. Yeah. It just sneaks up on you. comes out of nowhere. Okay, so we've talked about your film and the process of making that. Uh, we've talked about visual methods and using those um, in creative ways as research dissemination um, in anthropology. So photography, video, fiction, theater, all of the above. Uh, so now we're going to bring it back, and we're just going to talk about anthropology in general to wrap up the show. We usually like we're we're curious guys here on the show. We just I'm, like I'm curious, like Curtis the curious cat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so we like to know <laughs> why why people choose anthropology. And so we're going to ask you guys just that. Whoever wants to start, but you know what got you interested in anthropology? Why did you choose to pursue it? You know, give us the give us the deets. Okay, um, so I think I framed it actually in my letter to apply to this program as like being raised in a mixed ethnicity household. So there was always kind of like strange things going on. Like we'd always have white rice no matter what we were eating, like meatloaf, but also white rice. <laughs> so it was just kind of like confusing in that way and just different experiences growing up and anthropology kind of helped me explore that more um for a while though it was creative writing and then suddenly freshman year i was like no i know exactly what i want and here i am so yeah i guess i did okay so it, it wasn't like any you know tv show or movie that was like oh anthropology that looks cool no actually i was taking a music class in high school and they talked one of the teacher was talking about ethnomusicology, and mm -hmm. I just thought that was so cool. So I kind of got really deep looking into that, um, and then kind of strayed into creative writing for a while. I was like, I'm going to do poetry, but I obviously <laughs> didn't do that. <laughs> so <laughs> and then I got, yeah, volunteered with a bunch of different archaeology things, roundabouts, and then ended up here. <laughs> Um, roundabouts like the things that you drive through or <laughs> no thank goodness that would be a mess <laughs> but um in my undergrad it was actually a usf archaeology student doing a dig in Whedon island looking at the trash middens um and so i was like oh my god i'm gonna volunteer and do that and then so i did and it was really cool and i was just super into that so i decided to take it further and that's actually a very interesting site because that's over in like the St. Pete area, mm -hmm. um, a very 
a very neat archaeological site. Yeah. So I've heard. I haven't been there, but. Yeah, it was really cool. And listening to the different USF students talking about, um, and professors talking about um, what different sites they had been on and what it was like digging. Somebody was talking about what it was like digging in the desert. And so they were digging up in that rift where, like, the famous, like, usually a lot of the early hominid skeletons are found there. Mm-hmm. Um and they said it was, they would dig them up, but then it was, like, on dunes, so they would just roll down the sand dune, and <laughs> they'd be, like, chasing these, like, really old skeletons down the dunes, and be like, no, <laughs> oh my God, so I just thought that was really funny, I don't know, I really liked it. <laughs> uh, Bethany, what's your story? Oh, man, okay, I'll do this short. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Um, I actually was studying um, English literature and Greek humanities in school, and um, I kind of learned about, it sounds weird, I learned about HIV AIDS in high school, I guess, and uh, about like the um, social issues of it and what was going on in the country and in um, other countries in the world, and it just really, I guess it just really struck a nerve with me, and I was, so I was kind of always looking for what can I do or how can I be a part of this uh, movement to end HIV AIDS and end stigma regarding it? Um, and so I was doing all my literature stuff and just wasn't super happy with it, was just feeling frustrated, and I decided to try nursing. And um, 10 years later, I'm still a nurse. <laughs> and, but um, you're, you're not only – you're not like a, a – you're not only a nurse, you are a registered nurse. I'm a registered nurse specializing in pediatric cardiology and neonatal neonatal critical care. Um, and I've done that for 10 years almost now. Um, so I, it, through that, I had gone on some different medical missions to Haiti and um, Kenya, where I got to work as a nurse in different units there. And so through going to Haiti, I was looking for, I'm, I kind of, um, I'll find a topic I really am interested in or a place, and I'll just read everything I know about it. So I was reading all about Haiti and all the history, and I came across Paul Farmer's book, um, Earthquake in Haiti, or Haiti After the Earthquake. And uh, as I was reading it, I w- he was, like, talking about anthropology, and I was like, what is that? I thought that was just, like, studying apes. <laughs> so, um, L- Little did you know that you were right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, decided to take some classes. Um, I was already kind of en route to becoming a molecular biologist and a doctor. <laughs> a medical doctor and so I started taking anthropology classes and I was like whoa this is awesome I love it so I switched over and here I am now finishing my master's in it um so yeah so very roundabout but I'm I'm specifically I'm really interested in stigma and how can we stop stigma how can we stop stigma from alienating people um especially in healthcare and so I this mm. HIV AIDS is a huge um still a huge problem in that respect so I want to mm. do my part or do what I can I guess to help mm. And I mean, do you, do you, from your experience, you know, being in an anthropology program and talking to anthropologists or aspiring anthropologists, that in general there is usually a sense of um, wanting to do good or contributing somehow to a greater good that's a common running theme among people's interest in anthropology? Um, I would say in this program, yes. Um, I've For the most part, yeah. Different conferences. I've definitely spoken with some that were more focused on just, like, research and academia, which is is fine. Um, But our program is very applied, and everyone I've met has seemed to have that common theme of wanting to do something or do something bigger than themselves. And so I I really um, connect with that. 
for sure. So. And so while we're winding down the show here, um, if you guys could just sort of briefly talk about, you know, what what's the next step after uh, <laughs> we're all we're all somewhat close to to graduating and and kind of wrapping things up here. At least we hope. <laughs> we, we keep our fingers crossed that yeah. it, there's an end at some point. So, um, you know, after that, what what's next for you guys? Just what do you, what are you kind of thinking about? I'm going to go into the Peace Corps, I'm pretty sure. Nice. I really, really want to do that. That's why I wanted to come to this program is because there was going to be a Peace Corps and Master's Initiative program. Um, it ended up being canceled. I'm not bitter. But um, <laughs> that's what I want to do eventually. So, Is there a certain area that you would like to go to? Definitely. I really want to go to the Philippines or at least Southeast Asia. Oh, mm-hmm. right on. Cool. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to um, go into a Ph.D. program at some point. Mm-hmm. Right now I want a break. <laughs> yeah. So I'll probably take a little Don't time off. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. So I'll probably take some time off and eventually do that. But I actually really want to get back um, into creating. And um, so – I've got, like, a lot of um, ideas uh, right now, and, like, they're on hold until I can finish my thesis, um, but I'm working on some various plays and podcasts and things like that, so I'll probably mm-hmm. do that for a while and, and work. <laughs> well, you, so you'll continue being a nurse through this yes. whole process? Yes, sir. Do yeah, you think you'll even continue doing that, even, like, doing your PhD and stuff? Like, do you consider nursing to be sort of your long-term career? I guess so. I, I never, I always thought of it as kind of a way to pay for stuff, sure. <laughs> but yeah. whenever I take a break, I miss it and I'm, I, I think I'm good at it. <laughs> um, so I think I'll always, I think I'll always do it. Um, but I, thankfully I, I actually do travel nursing. So I work in contracts, um, and I can travel all over the country and I do like three months at a time at different places. So that makes it a lot really easy to take time off and mm-hmm. do other things so I can work for a little while do something right. else do something else so i'm kind of a nomad i guess and that doesn't make it really that. nice yeah all right yeah. those are good answers we all we we're all kind of trying to figure it out as we go so um i try not to think about it so much <laughs> right. yeah, i know i'm like i don't know what's I, the next question <laughs> i know what i'm doing tomorrow and that's it like, yeah right <laughs> oh you're so well planned i know <laughs> Um, so, you, so you have ideas for podcasts and such. Okay. So little did you know, Bethany, that you are actually on a podcast right now. I think I knew. Okay. <laughs> Surprise. Awesome. I mean, you're also live on the radio, but awesome. you're, you're also mm-hmm. Everyone should on, listen to podcasts. They're amazing. On a recording somewhere. <laughs> so if anyone listening now would like to listen later, or if anyone that's <laughs> listening now as a podcast, it is going to be a podcast on awesome. anthroalert.com. Tell your friends. Tell yes. your family. Yep. Tell everyone. Spread so spread anthro alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Walk up to people on the streets. <laughs> spread the word of anthro alert. <laughs> All right. So you're listening to Bulls Radio, WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and always streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. That's all we have for you this week. So stay tuned and make sure to come back and join us next week. Yeah, thank you, uh, Jane and Bethany, for being on the show. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll uh, we'll see everybody next week. Keep it locked on Bulls Radio. Enjoy the music. <laughs>